Maybe you can finish this sentence. With every cloud, there's a silver lining. That's right. I'm sure there are other cliches, something like that, but I don't, I don't remember them. So that's the one I'm going with, okay? But usually in moments of deep despair, when life is very difficult, there is a silver lining. And I knew this was true, so I decided to Google it. I decided to Google it and affirm what I knew to be true. So I took something really serious. So let's go with this first image up here on the screen. So I went ahead and Googled stories of courage at 9-11. And front screen of Google, many stories of courage and uh, generosity. These are men and women that went in and did the right thing, that loved and cared in the middle of despair. Many books have even been written about it at this point. If you don't know what I'm doing online, I just gave some sign language for you at home. All right. He's controlling it down here. Let's go to the next one. So I was like, well, let's make it, let's like up the ante on it. And decided to look for stories of courage in the Iraq War. And sure enough, front page of Google, several links to stories of courage in the middle of the Iraq War. In the middle of a, of, a, of a situation full of devastation and violence, there was courage to be found. And then I even went ahead and just decided to search stories of hope. Let's go to that next one. Stories of hope in the Syrian Civil War. Sure enough, even a TED Talk done on a story of hope from the Syrian Civil War. Even in the middle of the darkest moment, there are stories of courage and hope there are good things to be found even when the clouds are covering the sky. And that's kind of the theme we're going to find this morning. That's, that's where I want to go. We're in this four-week series where we're looking at how God is writing a different story at Christmas. That's no less true today as we jump into the next section of the story, reading in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to pick up Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up with verse 8. We've just read about the birth of Jesus, and then when we get into verse 8, we read, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We're going to pause in the story right there, verse 10. That is a very curious thing to say. That there would be great joy for all the people. This was a world full of violence. That's a very odd thing to say to a group of men out in a field living under the occupation of a foreign oppressor. These are people who have been beat down for quite a while. And I want us to really understand how violent the world was they were living in. I want us to understand how surprising it would be when an angel declares joy. Joy in the middle of despair. Just, a, just two generations before the angel appears to these men out in a field, there was 
several moments of violence that have been recorded by the famous Jewish historian Josephus. And he records this one moment among many where the Maccabean king, the king reigning over Israel, now in cahoots with foreign enemies, is decided to teach his enemies a lesson. These are people inside of Palestine, those living in Palestine, religious leaders that have tried to lead a revolt to kick the king out. Alexander Janius decides to teach them a lesson. And Josephus records what happens right here. Take a look. Josephus writes, he brought, and this is the Pharisees, by the way, those leading the revolt were the Pharisees. He brought the Pharisees to Jerusalem and did one of the most barbarous actions in the world to them. For as he was feasting with his concubines in the sight of all the city, he ordered about 800 of them to be crucified. And while they were living, he ordered the throats of their children and wives to be cut before their eyes. This was indeed by way of revenge for the injuries they had done him. That's what Josephus records. Now, you know, crucifixions don't happen in back alleys. They happen in public. They happen along main thoroughfares so that everyone can see them and it teaches them a lesson. So you can imagine in that year, you'd be going into Jerusalem and lining the streets, the arteries into Jerusalem, you would have 800 Pharisees hanging on crosses. Can you imagine? We struggle when we see images of dead bodies on the news, so much so they can't show them without some type of disclaimer. Can you imagine just running your car down 10th Street and right all along the way, the whole road, you had body after body after body hanging. And you knew that if you went against the ruling authorities, if you said something against the mayor, he'd have you on a cross. Aren't you glad we don't live in a town like that? At least not yet? Okay. All right. All right. All in good fun. All right. And just after Jesus was born, just after Jesus was born, Herod the Great, the king, the king who killed thousands of babies trying to find out where this Jesus was born, who he was, so they could eliminate him, that Herod, just after the birth of Jesus, Herod died. And right after his death, many people tried to fill the vacuum of leadership. Well, Rome stepped in and put a, put a leader in place. And you know what that leader did? He decided to take care of every person that decided to revolt. Well, here's what Josephus records. This is just after the birth of Jesus. Here's what Josephus records. Upon this, Darius, that's the Roman commander in control, sent a part of his army into the country to seek out those that had been the authors of the revolt. And when they had discovered... When they were discovered, he punished some of them that were most guilty, and some he dismissed. Now, the number of those who were crucified on this account were 2,000. 2,000. We know from other accounts that these crosses were lining the streets into Jerusalem. It was to teach them a lesson. You do not revolt against Rome. This is the world the angels appear into. This is the world that the shepherds know and understand. And so when the angel appears and says, I am bringing you good news that brings you great joy, that sounds very foreign. Great joy? 
We're living in a world where if you say the wrong thing about the wrong person, you're gone. Where you saw death all the time. We're not even talking about diseases or sicknesses or plagues or famines that would have hit the land. We're just talking about violence against an enemy. Great joy? Great joy? Who talks about great joy in a world like that? Well, God does. Because God is often writing a a very different story than the one we see. He's always up to something good. Something we might describe as joy. And if we paid attention, we would notice that all over the Christmas story, joy is showing up. I don't know if you've ever noticed how often joy shows up. Take a look at when the angel announced the birth of John the Baptist. Just take a look. Joy showing up. Here it is, Luke chapter 1, verses 12 through 27. Just taking an excerpt there. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a message breaking into a world where thousands of people are being crucified on the road to Jerusalem. Joy. And people will rejoice. It will be a delight to you. When John the Baptist is born, all part of the Christmas story, joy shows up. Take a look, Luke 57, 1, 57, 58. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. They shared her joy. Then... Zechariah breaks out in a joyous song. We just read just a few verses later, verses 67 through 79. Now an excerpt of this great song. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's a joyous song. That's a joyous song in the middle of a world where crucifixions are lining the streets to the capital. That's joy. And that's just John the Baptist. Can you imagine then Jesus? Take a look at what happened with Mary. Luke 1, 43-44. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is what Elizabeth says when Mary comes to visit her while she's still carrying John the Baptist. And then verse 44 tells us, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes, enters the house of Elizabeth, Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist, and John the Baptist jumps in the womb with joy. With joy. 
joy in a world where people are crucified on the streets to the capital. Joy. Then Mary sings a song. Luke 1, 46-48. It's a longer song. We just want to grab these two, these two verses at the top. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. Joy. Joy in the middle of sorrow. Joy in the middle of violence. Joy in the middle of famine. Joy in the middle of despair. That's not just a silver lining around a cloud. That's a defining characteristic of the story God is writing. So if I take all of that and I just summarize it, what in the world would Christmas teach us? What would God be doing? What's the different story? I'd say it this way. I would not say it that way. I'm going to say it another way in just a minute. I forgot we need to finish the story. I got so excited where I was. This is one of those rare mistakes. I make one every six months. Let's do this. Um, I, will, I will come forward for the invitation myself and receive me to repent of what I just did, okay? All right. All right. Luke 10, 2, 11 through 20. Here was the transition I forgot. If all that joy is in the front end of the Christmas story, it wouldn't surprise you that after the angels declared joy, that the choirs of angels in heaven, they're going to break out in song, just like Zechariah did, just like Mary did. So let's finish the story. Here it is. Luke 2, 11-20, finishing up what happened there that night. Today, the angel, said, the angel said, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and living in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. And when the angels had left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. But many, Mary, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. A choir of angels break out in song because of the joy of Christmas Day. It's not like the angels couldn't see the Pharisees on the road to Jerusalem, their bodies hanging. It's not like the angels didn't see all the babies killed in search of the promised one, this Savior born to Mary. It's not like the angels couldn't see any of that. But the joy, the birth of this Savior was so great that the only thing they could do was break out a joyous song because of all the stories being written in the world, this one story beat all the rest. It was the story of joy. Now, where I wanted to take you earlier. Here's what I think Christmas teaches us. Christmas tells us that no matter how dark things get, God is writing a different story, weaving joy 
into the world through Jesus, His Son. That was true on that night as the angels watched over their sheep, and it is true today as cancer, as domestic abuse, as heart disease, as divorce, as murder, as death by drunk driving, as COVID, as pneumonia, as flu, as broken bones, as all of that ravages our world, joy is still being weaved into the world through Jesus. That is true this Christmas. It was true last Christmas. It is going to be true next Christmas. That is the story God is in the business of writing. It's different. It's different than what we see. But it's the story God's writing. And it is the story that will last into eternity. Joy. So I want to make some application then. So what could we learn from all this? Here's one thing I think we need to say. We need to remember that joy and sorrow are not a zero-sum game. God often brings the greatest joy in the middle of the greatest sorrow. That's just the world we live in. I don't understand all of that, so I'm not going to give you some manifesto, some theological treatise to tell you why that is the case. I just know this, that in this world, God chose, instead of eradicating evil by removing every wicked person, He sent His Son into the world vulnerable as a baby, so He'd go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. That's how He did it. So God wasn't in some way absent or distant from our suffering. He entered it. And He entered it with the announcement of joy. I don't understand how joy and sorrow always work together. But I'll tell you this. It doesn't mean that if you're sorrowful, you can't be joyful. Or if you're joyful, you have no sorrow. These two work together. This is no zero-sum game. The Apostle Paul, one of the shorter verses he wrote, when he described his many trials, in his second letter to the Corinthians, here's what he had to say about joy and sorrow. Very short verse. He said, I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's a big yet. I don't know, maybe you relate to that. I just came out of the doctor's office with a terminal illness, yet I am always rejoicing. My teenage child is rebelling, yet I am always rejoicing. My parents are dying in front of my eyes. One has dementia, one has cancer, and I am their caretaker, yet always rejoicing. I can't learn a lick on a computer. Virtual learning's tanking my grade, yet. I am always rejoicing. You see how this works. Alright, second thing. Second application. Remember that God is infinitely joyful. And He shares His joy with His people no matter how dark this world gets. You ever thought about God being joyful? You ever thought that God right now is very happy? He's very pleased with Himself. He's full of joy. You ever thought about God being joyful? 
And I don't know exactly how this works. I don't really understand how God can look into a world like ours and yet still be joyful. I don't fully have that capacity yet. So I don't fully understand it. But there have been some Christians, some students of Jesus, that have walked a little farther in the kingdom of God than I have. And they've been able to describe this in ways that have really helped me. And I kind of just want to bring you alongside one of my dead mentors. I've never met him, but I sure have spent a lot of time with him. Dallas Willard, in an interview with another pastor at his last conference, just months before Willard died of cancer, in the middle of surgeries, in the middle of pain in his body, he still did this one last conference, and he sat having a conversation with another pastor, and he talked about joy. Here's what he said. A bit of a lengthy quote, but grab what Willard says. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is consistent with sorrow. Because it is, is, it is a realization of what's really going on in the world at large under God. It's joy. You know, it's very difficult to think of God as joyous because He's got so many things to worry about. But if you don't have a joyous God, you better head for cover. Really. You know? You ever thought about that? It's a joyous God that fills the universe. Our part in living in the kingdom is to turn back to that and to keep Christ fully present as we can and to thank God for His grace in helping us where we can. We rejoice in the Lord. It's something for us to do. It doesn't just sort of land on our head. Again, this element of seeking and of participation, of cooperation, is essential to life in the kingdom of God. So it's really important to understand that joy cuts through everything. And to anticipate that your moment of passage from the earth will be one of great joy. This is a man who died just months after saying these words. And I know if you I know having watched this interview. As he comes to that moment, he is tearing up knowing that he is about to make that passage himself. Joy cuts through everything. Because you know that God is writing a different story. And you know in the end that in 50 years, most of us are going to be doing just fine. Now, there will be sadness in our absence. But in 50 years, most of us will be just fine. Now, some of us are younger, so it might take 100 years for all that to happen. And it just may be Jesus comes back much sooner than all of that. He can come back today. Joy. Joy in the middle of sorrow. I don't fully understand what Willard just said. I understand it because I speak English. But I don't fully have all of that in my body or mind yet. But I know this, that one way, one way to get to become, to, to train, to become the kind of person that can say those kind of things is to do the kind of thing he just said. It's the kind of thing the Apostle Paul said, and that is to make Christ present constantly. And so I want to just lean into that as our next step, something we can do this week. Very practical. On the ground, right where you are. Here it is. Our next step this week. Put joy in front of your mind each day. Now, I don't mean this metaphorically. I, I, don't, even, I, I don't even mean this figuratively. I, I mean that you have a mind that gets taken up with things. So literally put joy in front of your eyes. I mean like write the word joy 
on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror. If nothing else, you can read the word joy. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to remind you of joy. If you have a friend named Joy, put notifications on for Joy this week. So every time she posts something, you see Joy. Maybe you know how to use Google. Google all the Bible passages that have the word Joy. And then read one a day. There you go. There are a lot of ways that we can get joy in front of our minds. There is no magic formula for knowing how to live with joy in the middle of sorrow. We're talking about training here. And if you and I put Christ and His joy in front of our mind, literally, each day this week, it will get us a little farther down the road to being the kind of people that can sit with sorrow and joy in the same moment. We can become the kind of people that can see and know and feel that different story God is writing right now. No matter what you are going through. I want to be that person. And if I need to write the word joy and put it on my bathroom mirror, then that's what I'll do. I think that's something all of us can do. Whatever it takes, let's train for joy. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the Holy Spirit inspiring them. We thank you for the truth. And we thank you that a couple thousand years ago, in the middle of a dark world, a world with crucifixions, a world with violence, a world with oppression and injustice, you declared joy. And you made joy manifest in the flesh. And then joy went to the sorrow. Celebrating some who are hurting, would you weave into their story joy? 